I want to ask for a show of hands this morning. How many of you are feeling stressed? Really? That's all? Now, come on, be honest. How many of you are feeling that level? Okay. This is a, the most stressful month of the year. The most stressful month of the year. The only thing I could imagine be worse is April 15th. And maybe some people be a little stressed about that. They got to turn in their taxes and they're not really happy about the whole thing. But did you know that in this month, there is a higher number of suicides and mental breakdowns than any other month? Now, doesn't that just excite you? I mean, isn't, that, isn't it good for you to know that, you know? No, not really. You know, it's, it's not something to joke about. This is a really hard time of month for people. This, this is a time of year when people are, are just maxed out and overwhelmed, and they're trying to find some grounding for their lives because it's too much, just just too much to take. And so this series, Peace on Earth, is very appropriate, very right on for where people live. And for that to happen this month is very important. Part of that has to do with the theme of today, Peace on Earth in our giving and receiving. Big piece of that whole equation is this whole idea of giving gifts to each other. So we're going to talk about that today. And I hope it will be helpful to you. Uh, this is a very serious problem, and we need to gain some peace. So I want to bring it up. You know, Christmas is a time of myths and fallacies. A lot of things going on that are in addition to the birth of Christ, as you know. There's a lot of different things that are stories, that are messages, that are uh, things that are thrown at us. And people are promoting this or that and trying to get us to buy their products and spend money that we don't have, and so on. Now, you are no doubt familiar with the bumper sticker that says, He who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, you know that's not true, but that's how some people live. Maybe you never thought about it. It seems like the message of Christmas to me is a variant of that bumper sticker. Instead of he who dies with the most toys wins, he who gives the most toys wins. You know, whoever can come up with the greatest number of things under their Christmas tree, whoever gives the biggest toys, the biggest gifts, is the winner. Of course, that's not true at all. This is one of the fallacies. But we can so easily be caught up in this materialistic approach to Christmas that says that we need to give the biggest and best gifts possible. We may play the game of trying to, to match up with those who are going to give us to make sure they don't outdo us. You know, oh no, they gave me something worth 20. I only gave them something worth 10. And I feel bad about that. To illustrate this problem, let me ask you a question. How many of us have a specified amount, a specified budget for Christmas gifts, and you stick to that budget strictly? <laughs> See, that, that's exactly what I thought. Nobody. <laughs> I don't know anybody that lives that way. There may be somebody out there, but all of us, even if we go into it thinking this is how much we're going to spend on Christmas, all of us fudge. All of us Break the rules. All of us say, yeah, well, I said I was only going to spend this, but look, here it is. This is a good deal. I'm going to do that. And then there's somebody I thought of that I hadn't put on my list, and now I'm going to add that, and it's going to break, break the bank, I know. I'm going to go past my budget, I know. Too many Christmas gifts fall in the category that I would call extravagance. They are extravagant. They're over the top. They're more expensive than we can really afford. They're more costly gifts then we probably should give. But that's the nature of this whole animal we call Christmas. 
Sometimes we give gifts to people we don't need to. They don't expect us to give them anything, but yet we do. And somehow then it makes them feel like, wow, they gave it to me. I probably need to give them something next year. And so this vicious cycle starts, you know. You've been caught in that one, haven't you? You used to have a list of eight people you gave to at Christmas, and it's grown to 20 or 25 or 30, and there's no end in sight. We have somehow equated love with the size or the value of the gift we give. You know, the bigger or more expensive the gift, the more we love the person. That's false. That's a false idea. By giving an expensive gift to someone, our goal may be to impress the receiver of the gift with how much we love them. Parents can sometimes fall into this, you know. i got to show my kids that they're special to me. So i got to give them this, this over-the-top thing that I can't really afford to give them, but it's going to impress them how much I love them. Spouses can do it. Boyfriends and girlfriends. Uh, all kinds of people can do it for each other. Sometimes we press this false idea even further by giving extravagantly only to impress, only to impress someone else. <laughs> yeah, and, and it becomes kind of a series of Christmas one-upmanships. Oh, you gave your wife new earrings. Well, I gave my wife a diamond necklace. Oh, you gave your child an Xbox 360. Well, I gave my son an Xbox 360 4 gigabyte connect bundle. I put the whole package together. And they know how much that costs. Another false idea in gift giving is when we give only because we think someone else is probably going to give to us. We're kind of anticipating, making sure we don't look foolish or unappreciative. And things just keep escalating. You know what I'm talking about. Overall, I think the problem is this. We don't really question the whole system. We don't think about what we're buying into, what we're playing into, what we're becoming a part of. But we should. I want to ask you this morning, what other birthday did you know is celebrated by all of the guests, guests giving each other gifts, but the birthday boy gets nothing? <coughs> Have you ever been to a birthday party like that? Let's all go to the party of so-and-so. Let's all give each other gifts, but we're giving him nothing. There's something wrong with that picture. We rarely stop to think how commercialized Christmas has become, and maybe we just don't know how to just stop the train. You know, it's just rolling along, and I've got to be a part of it, and I've got to play into it. Now, this is not to say that giving a gift to someone isn't a good thing to do. Just because you love somebody, you do things for them. You give them things. That's not wrong. But when Christmas becomes mostly about the gifts that we are giving and receiving, then something's wrong. Christmas, I think, is one of those most startling examples in the contrast between the Christian worldview and the rest of the world's view, the, the prevailing worldview of our culture. When we encounter this contrast between how we're supposed to live in a godly, Christ-like way and the rest of the world and how it lives, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Do we blindly follow along and say, well, I'll set aside my beliefs, I'll set aside my values, and I'll just live like my neighbors, I'll live like everyone else? Or do we chart a course laid out by God in His Word, the Bible? Do we deliberately choose our direction, our course of action? And sometimes that means we've got to go against the flow. Or do we just give and go along because that's easier? Extravagance. Extravagance. Why don't you think about that this morning? Why are we so willing to go into debt so that we can give extravagantly? 
A great degree of the stress and pressure that we feel in December is caused by this false need to spend more than we have to give extravagant gifts to other people. Of course, it's not just in December we feel that stress because we buy these things on credit. So in January and February and the ensuing months, sometimes the stress continues because we're trying to somehow pay down that bill to eliminate the credit card debt. And some people never really do catch up. Some people never get this under control. And it's, it's really tragic what happens in their lives that they, they want to give what they don't have because it seems to be the right thing to do, the good thing to do, the loving thing to do, and yet there is a heavy price to pay. Our whole approach is far too materialistic. So this morning, let's see what the Bible has to say. As uh, we often do, we want to go to see what God's Word has to say. We want to see how God uh, pictures this, how God explains this to us, how He instructs us, how He shares His wisdom with us. And we want to try in this to find some peace on earth in our giving and receiving. Now, it's difficult to see what the Bible says about money and material things and giving in just a few minutes because the Bible talks a lot about money. Uh, the Bible speaks a lot about that because God knows that's where we live every day. We're living uh, creatures that, that make money, spend money, need money, uh, do some things with money maybe we shouldn't. And so he speaks a lot about that. So we're only going to look at three passages today. I hope you can kind of track along with me. I'll move as fast as I can. The first one is in Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul was talking to his brothers and sisters from Ephesus. He's on his way to, to Jerusalem. They know he's, he's going to be uh, imprisoned there and so on. They're not anticipating a good thing for him there. And it's their last time they're going to get together. So he speaks to these Ephesian believers in Acts chapter 20, and he's kind of sharing his last words with them, you know, the last thing he can say to them. And so what he says is very important. So let's go to Acts chapter 20. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, you can turn to page 773. That makes it real easy. If you have your own Bible, open up to that, please. Knowing this was the last time that Paul was going to see these people on earth, this is what he says to his friends. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the, need, the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we find couple things. We're going to go back and look through that. I want you to underline or somehow uh, mark a couple things and just going to note those and then we'll move on. First of all, note that he says, we have an inheritance that is greater than gold or silver or material things. Let's be reminded of that. We have the best. Why do we need to worry about the rest of the things that are so important to, to many people in the world? We have the best. We have our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have not coveted, secondly, anyone's silver or gold or anything else. He told the Philippians in another place, he says, I have learned to be content. I have learned that whether I have a lot or I have a little, it doesn't really matter. As long as I can make it, as long as I can have what I need, that's all I need. Thirdly, he says, these hands of mine have supplied what I need, my own needs, the needs of my companions. 
And so Paul was taking responsibility for himself, as we should. We should work. We should, should make what we can. We should take care of our no, own needs as far as we can and even be responsible as possible for other people. And then he says we must help the weak. Some people can't do that. Some people are unable to supply all of their needs. And our duty, our responsibility as Christians is to help anyone in need. And uh, this means sometimes that we sacrifice so that they can be helped. And that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. And then finally he says, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now it is blessed to receive. It's good to receive a blessing, receive help from someone else. But nothing, he says, compares to the joy of giving help to someone else who is in need, somebody who has nowhere else to go. And there's a great joy of stepping in there and being used by God to bless somebody at that time. The very best gifts that we can give at Christmas or any other time are the gifts that we may give to the needy, to those who really need what we have who can't possibly pay us back. And so this whole thing of I'll give you a gift, you give me a gift, is just kind of taken away. Because now you're only doing it out of love, you're doing it out of compassion, you're doing it as an agent of God to help someone else that could get help uh, nowhere else. Now that takes us to the second passage I want to look at. So now flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, and you find that on page 804 in the Bible that's in seat in front of you. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking a lot about uh, taking care of the needs of brothers and sisters in Christ. A particular thing that had happened was in Jerusalem area, they'd had a famine. So a lot of people are starving, a lot of people are hungry, they don't have any way to, to provide their needs. And so Christians from around uh, Asia, Asia Minor, were contributing and sending gifts so that the people in Jerusalem could be taken care of. And Paul's writing about uh, situations where the church in Macedonia, which is up more towards Greece, uh, really took it upon themselves to, to give an extravagant gift, an elaborate gift, a, a great gift, even when they really didn't have that much themselves. So he wrote to the believers in Corinth these words in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, and entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Macedonian Christians have given a gift to help the brothers and sisters down in Jerusalem that are in need. Now the Corinthian Christians have promised, they've given kind of a first gift, but they've not really come through with what they promised. And Paul's urging them, remember what you're supposed to do here. Verse 10, here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. 
Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if your willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality, and at the present time your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. And then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Now, I don't want to go into all those verses because that would take us the rest of the afternoon, but I want to make a couple points out of that. I want to really share with you some some basic principles about giving and receiving that Paul is talking about here. First of all, he says this, generosity is a good thing. Generosity is to be encouraged. The Macedonians had given out of their extreme poverty. They had, they had jumped at the chance to bless somebody else, to help someone else, even though they really didn't have a lot of extras. They were just barely eking by, but they said, those people are hurting more than we are, I'm going to do what I can to help. Extravagance is encouraged. But notice this. Here's the difference. Extravagance is encouraged if there's an eternal reason behind it. Not extravagance for just extravagance. It's like, well, just go ahead and max out your credit card to show them how much you love them. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about sacrifice of, of giving and, and giving up of yourself, giving up of your own wants, so that you can help somebody else that is in need. And if there is an eternal reason behind that, if there's something you can show of the love of God to them, if you can say, this is how God does things, I'm just, just following his example, that has an eternal impact, has an eternal reason. And then extreme generosity is encouraged. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. All of us need to learn to be good givers. This is something that's on every Christian. This shows the sincerity of our love for God and our love for our fellow man when we become a good giver. Now someone may say, you know, I'm, I'm not a very giving person. Well, you need to learn to be. Because this is the way we're to live as followers of Jesus Christ. In verse 5, Paul says, the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. If you've given yourself to the Lord, then you need to give of yourself to other people. Get your heart right with God, and uh, you will become a giving person, a person who, who wants to bless other people, who even denies some of your own needs and wants in order to take care of someone else. It's one of the most beautiful things you can possibly do in this life. That's the second thing. Everyone should excel in giving. The third thing I want to finish with in this. Give what you have, not what you don't have. That's what he said. He said the Macedonians didn't give something they didn't have. They only gave of what they have. And you, Corinthians, as you give, you are, are making a pledge. You're trying to help your brothers. But give of what you have. And that will create kind of an equal playing field. You may be blessed with a lot. Give a lot. You may be blessed with a little. Give a little. But give what you have, not what you don't have. In this way, everyone's gifts and sacrifices are equalized. Now, how does this principle apply to Christmas? Give what you have, what you don't have. Well, obviously one of those is, don't go into debt. 
Don't go into debt so you can give more expensive gifts than you can really afford. Give of what you have. Give of what you already possess. Give of the manner in which God has already blessed you. Don't extend yourself into trouble so that you can impress somebody or so you can give them something they may not even really need. Scale back your giving to stay within your means. That's a huge change for most of us. But that's what God's Word is saying. It's okay to go with simpler, less expensive gifts. In fact, you might teach your children something in the process if you do that. It's okay to go with homemade gifts or maybe gifts that take more of your time and energy and thought rather than, than just going out and dropping a bunch of money or putting down that credit card, you know, and then thinking, well, sometime I'll pay that off. It may take a few months, but I really want to give that to them. And you set yourself up for a lot of heartache and stress. I know that my wife would be more pleased by a gift from me that took some time and energy and thought and work but showed that it really cared and provided something for her that she loved rather than to find out that I bought this expensive thing for her that put us in a financial bind and now we've got to figure out some way to pay for that. Well, yeah, it's beautiful. Well, it's a great thing to have but now we've got to pay for this thing and you put a burden on us by, by choosing this extravagant gift. Maybe, if you think about that, you need to change your approach to this whole giving and receiving thing. When I think about all of this, I think about some of the gifts that backfire on us. You know what I'm talking about. You know, Christmas morning comes and you've gotten all excited. You can hardly give it to your child because you spent $300 on something. You know, they've been begging for it. They've been asking since maybe October, November, and you decide, I am going to do that. I'm going to find a way to get that because on Christmas morning, they are going to be so excited and they open it. And they're excited for about two minutes. And then they throw it aside because they want to see what else is under that tree. And suddenly, the bubbles burst. Like, what, what was that? You know, that cost a lot. And it meant nothing. What's with that? You know, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it happen. And, and the disappointment. Or maybe you give something to someone else and they didn't show their appreciation the way that we thought they should. Yeah, thanks. Maybe they say thanks, you know. Or maybe maybe they showed how little it meant to them because they didn't take care of it. Ever had your child do that? By Christmas night, it's broken because they didn't take care of it? It's like, I can't fix this. This is an electronic thing. I don't know how to fix that. I can't repair that. I didn't buy the war extra warranty on that, you know. It doesn't, doesn't allow for a child beating against the wall, you know. Just think about it. Maybe you need to change your approach to this. Maybe we see some of the items we gave that we thought were so wonderful that they would always cherish. Next summer, they're in the yard sale. Yeah. They got a quarter for it. They got 50 cents for it. Cost you $25. What do you feel then? I have learned something that you need to learn. Probably you have, but maybe not. I've learned that satisfaction with a gift is not necessarily tied to how much that gift costs. You can spend a lot of money on a gift and there be no satisfaction that comes from it. Even though you dreamed, even though you thought, this is going to be the gift that will just wow them. They'll just, they'll just be so happy. That is the lie that we are often told in this world by the devil who says, you know, if you'll do that, 
You're going to make them so excited, so thrilled, that they're going to love you like they've never loved you before. They're going to return that to you, and it's going to have this great reward to it, and zero comes from it. The bubble bursts. And yet we're left with the bill to pay for that item. I remember a young couple in our church a few years ago. They were struggling just to make it week to week, month to month. We had already helped them many times. We were trying to help them get on a budget, stay on that budget, and they're just really not very good learners. Kept making mistakes. Finally, we're at this point, you know, saying, don't spend anything unless you ask us first because you keep making these mistakes. And next month, you're going to be even worse shape than you are now. And so we're going through this whole thing. We've been going through it for several months. And Christmas time comes. And somehow, I inadvertently learned that she had bought him a $500 camera for Christmas because he really wanted that camera. And I went to her and I said, where did you get the $500? She said, well, it was for our mortgage, but I figured we could just pay it late. That's the kind of answer. That's the kind of way that they're doing things. I said, guess what? You still have the package for that camera? Yeah, she says it's wrapped. I said, well, unwrap it because you're taking it back to the store today. You shouldn't buy that camera. You don't have the money for that camera. That's your mortgage that bought that camera. You take that camera back. I got really insistent on it. She got scared enough that she took it back. I don't know why. Most people don't listen to my advice like that, but she did. <laughs> and it didn't really solve their problems, but it sure took away some of the damage, some of the stress, some of the things that she was throwing onto that equation by buying things she didn't have the money for. And people make that mistake all the time, especially when it comes to giving a gift, because those emotional heartstrings are being tugged, you know, and they're thinking, I want to make them happy. I want to do something nice for them. And we make these stupid choices when we're shopping. And now that you can make those choices in the privacy of your own room, and online, nobody's even there to make it a, an extra step. It's so easy, you know. Nobody's going to question that. You don't have to face anybody else. You just go online and you spend hundreds of dollars you don't have to try and make somebody happy. Our third and final passage of Scripture is just a single verse. It's in Matthew 10.8. You don't have to turn to that one. Matthew 10 is telling us about Jesus sending out his disciples and he's sending them out to preach the gospel and to heal people and to, to take care of people and provide for their needs but mostly to get the good news out, that the kingdom is on them, that Jesus is here, and that there's a solution coming. Matthew 10.8, he says to them, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. I mean, these are huge items, big ticket items. And he says this, freely you have received. Freely give. And this is the message I want to leave with you this morning. Freely you have received, freely give. You have received material blessings far beyond most people on this planet. Most, most people in this world will never know the wealth you already have. Live in contentment with what you have. Don't be looking for more. Live at the level of your basic needs. Maybe pull back some. Get rid of some of those expensive things you've already obligated yourself to. Get away from them. Don't make any more decisions like that. And then pass your material surplus along to others as much as you can and be generous and willing to share and take care of the needs of others, especially when those gifts, when those things you do for people can have an eternal benefit in their lives because it's not about this life. 
It's about the life to come. It's not about the 70 or 80 years you have here on this earth in the material world. It's about eternity with Jesus Christ. So, pull back. Think about those blessings you've been given materially. Think about the blessings you have with friendships, with family. Even if you're a single person and you have no family left, you're part of God's family. And you are richly blessed with those relationships. Pass along that gift by blessing people, the others that are all alone in this world, and befriend them, and take time for them, and show interest in them, and be compassionate toward them. You have received spiritual blessings in Christ, the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of eternal life. So share your faith with others around you. And tell them about God's love through your actions and through your words. Freely you have received. Now freely give to the world. If you want peace on earth in your giving and receiving, hope you'll just pull back, trim back your Christmas gift list. Scale it back. Give only what you really have to give. Be a good steward of whatever God has given you. Teach your children, your grandchildren in the process. You know what, parents? It's really okay if your child doesn't get what they want most. It's really okay. The world is not going to end. You are not going to scar them for life if they don't get the game that they wanted, if they don't get the dress that they wanted, if they don't get the certain item that they've been begging for for weeks. If they don't get that, it's really okay. Because you may be teaching them an even more valuable lesson that they can't have everything they want, that life isn't that way. And that sometimes we have to work and sometimes we have to save and sometimes we have to go without. Sometimes we will never get what we wanted. That's the way life is because there are more important things to life than those material things we want. What a powerful lesson you could teach your child in that. You're not going to scar them for life because they didn't get something they wanted. In fact, you might scar them for life if you give them everything they want. I love old Henry's classic short story, The Gift of the Magi. You probably remember it, maybe not. The story takes place in a time when people gave things, gave one gift to each other. <laughs> That's hard to imagine. Uh, Christmas is coming. I'm going to get one thing from my parents. Or if you're married, I'm going to get one thing from my spouse. Boy, that's a different time than now. Jim Young and his wife, Della, are a couple living in a modest flat. They're just barely making it, both working hard. They each have one possession that they have uh, taken pride in. Della's got this beautiful long hair, and uh, Jim just loves that hair. He just thinks it's great, and it's her, her only possession. She doesn't have much else, but that she's very beautiful, that long hair. And Jim has this shiny gold pocket watch that had belonged to his father and his grandfather, but it doesn't have a chain on it. He's always afraid he's going to lose it. Christmas is coming. And on Christmas Eve, with only $1.87 in change, desperate to find a gift for Jim, Della decides, finds out, that she can have her hair cut off. She can sell it. She can make 20 bucks, And with the dollar she has, she can buy a platinum chain for Jim's gold watch. Happy to find this perfect gift at last. She has her hair cut off. She buys a gift. She goes home to, to create their Christmas Eve dinner. Jim comes home and immediately notices her hair's gone. She's got this short hair now. And he has this awful look on his face. 
And it's a bigger reaction than she really expected because she knew he'd be shocked, but man, he really looks disturbed. And so she admits that she sold her hair to buy him his present. And Jim sees that there's this gold chain for his gold watch. Then he admits he doesn't have the watch anymore. He sold the watch so he could buy her these beautiful combs for her hair, these decorative, beautiful, kind of like ornate combs for this beautiful flowing hair she had. And both of them have sacrificed their only great possession so that the other could appreciate, be shown their, their appreciation and their love. The story ends with the narrator comparing the pair's mutually sacrificial gifts of love with those of the biblical magi. So the story is called The Gift of the Magi or the Wise Men. And this is how O. Henry finishes. He says, The magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn king of the Jews in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the magi. I want you to think of something. Jim and Della both gave on the basis of what they had, not on what they didn't have. They surrendered the thing most precious to them in order to buy an elaborate gift for someone they love. But they didn't buy on credit. They found a way to use what they had to bless the one that they loved. They both gave sacrificially after a lot of thought simply to show their love for their spouse. He gave up his watch so he could buy an expensive set of combs. She gave up her beautiful long hair so she could buy him a chain for his watch. Now, didn't they end up with nothing? No. No. They both ended up discovering that they had a love for each other that was far greater than any gifts they could give. What they gave was their love. May you this Christmas find peace on earth in your giving and receiving. May your celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ be about eternal things. Eternal things like faith and hope and love. And may Jesus Christ be honored and glorified through the way we celebrate Christmas this year. Let's pray together. Lord, we are uh, in awe of your word, of the advice, of the instruction, of the wisdom uh, that it gives our lives. We know that many times we ignore that, we, we fail, and uh, we, we find another way, and then we pay the consequences of that. Lord, today we bow before you and we thank you that, that you love us as you do, that you gave us that most perfect gift that Mike talked about during our communion time, that indescribable gift of Jesus. Lord, you gave us through Jesus forgiveness of sins and salvation and eternal life. And today we just, we just are here in awe of that gift. Lord, as we think about our own gift giving, and are receiving, I pray that you'll give us wisdom. 
that we would listen to what your word says and that we would change the way that we live and it would truly bring peace on earth to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing a wonderful song together. Would you do that, please?